this morning, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15, if you have your Bible. Luke chapter 15. I'll try not to be long. Luke chapter 15. And we'll start with verse 1, and we're going to go through this. I just, I felt the Lord leading us to this one word called worth. This one word, worth. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. But Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Okay, go to the next slide. Let's skip down to verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger, son, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Go to the next one. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him out to, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Right there is proof that Jesus was not a vegetarian. Jesus said, let's eat red meat. And everyone in the house said, amen. amen. Let's eat red filet mignon. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let me read one more passage to you from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I want to speak to you briefly this morning on the subject, what am I worth? What am I worth? I just want you to turn to your neighbor and I just want you to ask, what am I worth? What am I worth? Turn to the person sitting next to you. What, what, what am I worth? What am I worth? It's a question we've all asked. No matter who you are, no matter your background, no matter your cultural context, maybe not in those particular words, but at least in jest. We've asked that question, what am I worth? And the next question that follows that up is the criteria to which you answer that question. That's probably the most important thing. What am I worth? Maybe you look in the mirror and you go, well, I like my reflection. I like how my eyes appear. I like how my earlobes are pretty level. I like how my chin's shaped. I like how my hair lays. I must be worth something because I'm easy on the eyes. That's a conversation I have with myself every morning. Why are you laughing? I'm serious. I'm not. I'm kidding. But thanks for laughing. <laughs> what am I worth? What am I worth? Well, my family, my family has a lot of money in the bank. Well, well I'm, I'm, a nice, I'm a nice guy. 
What am, I, what am I worth? What do you say when that concept, when that question, that thought process begins to roll through your mind? What am I worth? Well, I'm nice to the elderly. I treat my elderly with respect. I help little old ladies cross the street. I hold open doors for people. What, what, what am I worth? Well, I get amazing grades. I'm at the top of my class. I'm, I, I, my teachers love me, and the ones that don't love me shouldn't be teaching anyways. What am I, what am I worth? What's going on? What, what am I worth? And we answer this question. We answer it with social status. We answer it with wealth, with giftings, with attitudes, abilities, looks, success. We answer, we answer it with how we define it and how we term it. How we term it. And it's very apparent to me, as I'm sure it is to you, that nearly across the board, that many of us at some point or another, and maybe even still today, we believe that worth is earned. That worth is earned. Many of us, we work from the premise of our social structure or, of our, uh, of, uh, or, the, or, or the premise of, of, of our culture. That if we're going to be accepted and we're going to be befriended and we're going to be valued and we're going to be appreciated, we have to earn it. I have to prove it to people. I've got to prove to someone that I'm worth something, that I'm worth their attention, that I'm worth their time, that I'm worth their words, that I'm worth their love. I'm going to prove to the world what I'm worth. I want them to know what I'm worth. Now, this is not news to anyone in here this morning. This is how much of our society functions. And in fact, as you look back at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, can I, can I just say this for a second? I think the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the Bible, I think sometimes they get a really bad rap. Can I just say that for a second? I, I, I don't think they're good guys, but I think that they were logical. I think that as you study them, they kind of represented the culture in which they were at, the culture in which they lived in. They really believed that worth was earned. And so Jesus shows up in, the, in, this, in this social setting, in this cultural context there in the Middle East. And Jesus was and still is today socially frustrating. Jesus is. We watch these beautiful depictions like the Bible, the, the series that's on TV and the movies that are coming out. And, and we just, we adore Jesus and we fall in love with Jesus as we should. But if you're here in this moment when Jesus is alive, some of the words and some of the actions and some of the ways that he conducted himself socially were just flat frustrating. They were frustrating. The people Jesus befriended, the people that Jesus socially developed relationship with. Remember this guy named Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And what? A wee little man was he? He climbed up in a what? Sycamore tree. We say elm tree out here, but he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Come on, and as a Savior passed that way, he looked up in that tree. Zacchaeus, you come down. Why? For I'm going to your house today. Right? Hey, Ma, I made it. Right? Come on. We know Zacchaeus, and we think, oh, that's cute. That's a nice story of Jesus. No, Zacchaeus was a thug. He was a flat thug. And sometimes we make these people that Jesus befriended to be people who are down and out and down under their luck, people who were maligned and abused, when in fact Jesus befriended many people who were in charge of doing the maligning and doing the abusing. Oh, come on, somebody. No wonder why the Pharisees and Sadducees and some of the Jewish crowd are frustrated at Jesus' actions. They're frustrated because they, like us, 
believe that worth is earned. And so the scribes and the Pharisees are here in Luke, and they ask an honest question. Actually, it's not really a question, it's a statement and a complaint. And Jesus, they say, Jesus, you hang out with lowlifes and crooks and thieves and criminals and thugs. You hang out with the outcasts. You hang out with the dogs. Why? And Jesus is about to drop an explanation. Jesus, you show up and you befriend people. You love people. You care for people. You pursue people that are not worthy of that kind of attention. Jesus, you reward bad people with goodness. Is that not frustrating? Is that, is that frustrating to anybody else? You reward bad people with goodness. Come on, some of you seniors are graduating. Maybe you work really, really hard to get your grades, to keep your grades, to get good grades. You work really, really hard to pass your test, to do well in the ACT, to do well on everything that's going on. And then you look over and Mr. Cheater over here has been cheating this whole time and he gets rewarded with a scholarship. Isn't that frustrating? Wouldn't that, come on somebody. Oh, we're all holy in this place. No, I, I'm like Jesus. No, it's frustrating. That would be frustrating. And so here these, these, these Pharisees and Sadducees are asking these questions. And Jesus starts off in Luke chapter 15. And his first story is a story of a shepherd. Now the shepherd had a hundred sheep. These are the two parables we skip for time's sake. The first shepherd had a hundred sheep and he counted sheep one day and he recognized and he realized, wow, I'm, I'm missing a sheep. I, I'm, now I'm not a mathematical genius. But the parable says he has 99 and he lost one. Okay. Now, I understand the greater sum value of 99 is greater than the sum value of 1, correct? And honestly, if you walked up and you gave me $100 in ones, first of all, I'd say, where are you getting $100 in ones? But then after that, I would say, okay, with $100 in ones, and maybe I walk through the, through the church and I drop one, am I going to lose sleep that night over the $1 that I dropped? Come on, somebody, help me out here. The quicker you shout, the quicker you're let out. I'm not, I'm not going to lose much sleep that night. I still got 99. I, you know, one, okay, someone, God bless you. Go get you a piece of gum, right? This shepherd has 100 sheep, 99 are there, one's lost. And, man, he just, he leaves the 99 and goes to find the one. He risks the greater value of the 99 to go after the one. Now, does anyone else have an issue with this parable? I just want you to think about it. This doesn't make any sense. This is an irresponsible shepherd. Who's back with the 99? Who's back watching over them? He's off with the one. But the 99, they're, they're left. And the 99 is greater than one. And the one deserves to be lost. He's dumb. He wandered off. He did his own thing. He deserves to be out there all by himself. Why are you going after the night? What are you talking about, Jesus? What are you talking about leaving the 99 and going find the one who's dumb and wandered off? I don't, these, these Pharisees are like, what are you talking about? And then Jesus goes to the next parable. And the next parable is a woman who has a coin collection. She has 10 coins. Now those 10 coins, she loses one. And when she loses one, she goes bazonkers. She goes berserk. She's flipping over couches. She's pulling out mattresses. She's pulling off cushions. She's pulling off sheets. She's doing everything. She is messing her house up to find the one. Come on. This woman has lost it. 
Maybe we could say, you know, if you just keep your house clean, you wouldn't lose the one. Come on, somebody. But she's tearing her house up, and now probably the nine that she did have are probably lost in the shrapnel of mattresses, sheets, and cushions in her house. But she's doing it. Jesus, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? It, it, it's funny because we look at these parables and we all throughout the years have thought, oh, they're so beautiful parables. But no, they're not. They're, they're illogical. They're ridiculous. That's what these parables, oh, I, I'm setting you up for something. Don't run out yet. They're ridiculous. So the first two stories you could say, okay, is sheep. Sheep's dumb. Sheep makes his own decision. He wanders off. The sheep's fault. Second thing, it's not the coin's fault. The coin's an inanimate object. It's the woman's fault. The woman, she lost it. You know, if you keep your house clean, this wouldn't happen. But then you go to the third parable, the one we read. And it's about a human with a will, emotion, and a soul. And we read that story, and this dad's put a lot of money back for his boys to inherit. And the youngest boy says, Dad, I want my inheritance. I want it. It's my money, and I want it now. I remember those commercials on TV. It's my money, and I want it now. Right? That's the way this guy sounds like, probably. He says, it's time for me to live it up. Time for me to go on my own. I hear Vegas has an awesome community program. I'm going to go live in Vegas. And he parties. The Bible says he parties. And he wastes all of his money. And it's funny, as long as he has cash, he has friends. That's a whole other sermon right there that's free. Seniors take that to heart. He parties. Now he finds himself, he's ran out of money and he's ran out of friends. And he finds himself in the farmlands working for a farmer feeding pigs and in the contract that he signed there's a clause that you can't eat the pig food. <laughs> I'm glad when I was assistant manager for Chick-fil-A they didn't say that to me. That's how I got from 140 to 210 in like three months. No joke. Chicken and peanut oil. It's amazing. Amazing. And so here, you got this young boy, got this contract clause. So the youngest son is at his lowest of low. And what comes to his mind is how good he had it back at his dad's place. And his knee-jerk reaction is not, I'll go back and be a son. His knee-jerk reaction is, I'll go back and see if I can become an employee because obviously I'm not worthy of being a son. I've given up that right, so I'm just going to go back and, and I'm going to say, Dad, will, will you be my boss? I don't want you to be my dad. I'm, you're no longer my father. Will you just be my boss? You be my boss and I'll be your employee. You be my employer. And this is a picture of how we process things. This is the human condition that we're in today. If I don't bat a thousand, if I don't cross all the T's and dot all the I's, I'm no longer worthy. And the son goes back and he prepares his speech. And this is a pathetic little speech. But honestly, I can relate to it. And the son, something ridiculous unfolds for us. Remember, Jesus is just telling us these stories. He has a crowd of people around him. He's got the Jewish people. He's got the Pharisees. He's got the teachers there around him. And this crowd, they've been under tyranny of over 200, having to keep 200 plus laws every day. And Jesus does something extraordinary in this story. He says that the son starts to return home, but the father runs out to meet him. And when Jesus said the father ran, all the Jewish people around, they sucked air at that moment. (sighs) What? 
because Jewish men did not run. That was one of the 200 laws. Sometimes I wish I was Jewish. They didn't run. You didn't see a Jewish man run. It was one of the 200 laws, you know? And so when you say, hey, run after it, fat boy. No, I'm Jewish. (laughs) That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? (laughs) I'm having a conversion right now. But it was one of the laws. Jewish men didn't run. And so when Jesus said the father ran, all these Jewish people around, they, what? Because it was one of the laws. You didn't run. And Jesus is telling the story here of an exceptional, ridiculous, illogical, countercultural kind of love. When he said the father ran, these guys are thinking, oh my goodness, what am I worth? We're about to learn what we're worth. Remember the pathetic little speech a son prepares? I'm about done. Notice something here. Notice something. The father never even acknowledges it. The father never even acknowledges it. Did you notice that? He never even gave it the time of day. There may be people in here this morning, people in our community, people that we know who are preparing their comeback speech with God. I have great news for you. He's going to ignore it. Isn't that great news? Some of you are looking at me like, oh, you better run. You're not Jewish. He's going to ignore it. People are working on their comeback speech all the time. Okay, God, I'm going to give up this. I'm going to give up this. I'm going to give up that. And then, God, we're going to get things. And they're working on their comeback. And guess what? He's going to ignore it. We're trying to convince God to hire us. We're trying to convince God to hire us as an employee for heaven. And when when this story is apparent that God is anything but that. That's not how God works. He functions on the base of grace, truth and grace, embodied in one person, Jesus. The Bible says that the father fell on his son's neck and kissed his face off. Kissed his face off. It seems to me that this son is uncomfortable in this embrace. It seems to me that this son is uncomfortable in this embrace. Now, as I start thinking about that, I come across a couple of other pictures of some of our seniors. Sticking with Colton Whetstone and his sister Kaya. And I just, uh, to me, these are awesome. I love these pictures. But I want you just to see the look on Colton's face. Go ahead and throw that. (laughs) It's like a before and how many, you know? It seems to me that Colton is uncomfortable in this embrace. Especially on the first one. Maybe on the second one, you know, he's older now, he's mature, he's like, I love my sister, that's all. But the first one, man, you're a little kid, and you're like, this is gross, I got cooties, right? And when I think about the son, how he's uncomfortable with his embrace, it's funny because as the son, as the father falls on his son's neck and begins kissing him, the son starts his speech. Father, I'm, no, I'm not a son anymore. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. You know, just, just make me a hired hand. The kid thinks he was son in the first place because he earned it. And we think this is how the kingdom of God works. We earn it. We earn it. Jesus said, no. Jesus said, you must be born again. How are you born? Birth. And birth is what? Birth is a gift. 
I can only imagine if JD comes. JD, I figured you'd be out helping mom right now. I'm sorry you're in here and going to hear this. I can only imagine if JD comes in to the breakfast table one morning. He says, Dad, I, I have an announcement to make. I believe I have finally earned the right to be a cloud. And I'm glad to say that now I am worthy to be your son. I would say something in the Hebrew or Greek that goes along with, be quiet, boy. You know? Be quiet. No, 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 Dad, really. No, 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 really. Be quiet. Stop. Be quiet. You think you're a son by worth? No, you're a son by birth. You were born into this family. You became a cloud. It was a gift. Accept it. Enjoy it. Embrace it. But please don't offend me as your father trying to work your worthiness into being my son. You are my son. And that's the way our Heavenly Father, don't offend him by trying to earn your way into the kingdom. You're not there by worth. You're there by birth. You've been born again. You've been set apart. You've accepted the grace of God. And now you are there not by what you do, but because of what he's done. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Almost done. I said that five minutes ago. The Father seems to be a beautiful picture of our Heavenly Father. He is completely disinterested in His Son's comeback plan. He just wants to embrace His Son. But His Son is so uncomfortable, just like so many of us are uncomfortable, with this illogical truth of God called grace. What, God? You just, you just love me? You forgive me? Everything I've done, you just forgive me? No, 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 God, I'll, I'll try harder. No, God, I'll, I'll do more. God, I'll make it better. And we begin to squirm in this embrace called grace, and we're trying to impress God. Like God's like, whoa, Gabriel, Michael, get over here. Look at her. She's prayed for 38 minutes. I haven't seen anything like this in all of eternity. This is amazing. Like we're trying to impress God with something. God loves you. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. And he loves you. And the only thing that impresses God is his son, Jesus. That's why it is impossible to please God without faith, because it's impossible to please God without Jesus. And all of us who are trusting in Jesus are pleasing to God. For now the Bible says our life is hidden in Christ. And when Jesus, and when God sees us, he sees Christ. A sheer gift. It's sheer grace. We accept him. We trust him. We put our life in him. And now our life is lost as Christ lives his life through us. When the Father sees us, he sees his Son. And we are loved and we are accepted and we are approved. Not because of what we do, but because of who he is. That's where our worth comes from. Come on, look at your neighbor. That's good news. Look at your neighbor and high five them. Tell them that's great. You got a chance. That's great. We have the opportunity now. now you know, I, I feel bad. I'm closing. I got six more pages of notes, but I'm done. I feel bad for these Jewish people who are listening to this story. The father turns to his servant. He says, get a ring, get a robe, get it sandals, let's party. And all the Jewish people that are sitting there are like, party? Party for what? 
He wasted away all your money. He, he, he marred the family name, and you reward him. You reward him like he was coming home with a PhD. You killed the baby calf. You gave him, come on, you killed ribeye. Where does the father get off thinking this is okay? It's grace on display. Look at the one sheep, the one coin, and the one son. Look at the ridiculous measure that the shepherd goes to, the woman goes to, and the father goes to. God is telling us you cannot find your worth in this world. You find your worth in the image in which you were created. And you were created in his image. And we are his. And he loves us. Put your hands together if you receive that this morning. Everybody go ahead and stand to your feet. It's all hush. Or I have five more closings. Kevin, if you just play some light music. Background music just makes me sound super spiritual in this moment. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I want to end with this. There's this one setting in Mark chapter 10 and Jesus is approached by parents and by kids. And all the disciples, come on, you probably remember the story, all the disciples are shooing off the kids and shooing off the parents. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let them come to me. And the Bible says that he grabbed them and he took them and he curled them up in his arms and he held them. And then he he says these words, listen closely. Unless you become like one of these, you will not see or understand my kingdom. Unless you become like this little child that I'm holding, that I'm embracing, this little child who probably has gotten in trouble today, this little child who probably talked back to his parents today, this little child who probably left his toys out this morning when mom said put them up, this little child who has probably messed up, but yet that little child allowed Jesus to pick him or her up and embrace them and hold them, even in their mess up, even in their pain, even in their mistake. I don't care if we're 30, 40, 50, or 110 in this place. Every one of us need that embrace of our Father, of our Heavenly Father. Every one of us, when we mess up, don't run away. Run to the Father. Because in a crazy, illogical way, He's running to you. He's running to you. And he wants to embrace you. He wants to embrace you in your joys and victories. He wants to embrace you in your agony and defeat. He wants to embrace you. Our responsibility is to become simple and uncomplicated like a child. And just simply entrust the embrace of grace. Some of you need to trust the embrace of grace this morning. Somebody like Jared, you, you don't understand my past. I don't have to. But I do know this, he already gave his life for it. 
Everything you've done has been nailed to a cross. Blood was shed so that you could trust the embrace of grace this morning. Your worth is found in that embrace. Your worth's not found anywhere else. It's found in that illogical, crazy, weird embrace. Everybody says they don't deserve it. How do they deserve that? Because none of us deserve it. None of us do. But he embraces each and every one who calls on his name this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I've, I've got some things going on in my life and I need to trust the embrace of grace in it today. It may not be your salvation. It may just be your marriage. It may be a work situation. It may be a relationship. It may be a financial issue. It may be something going on in your body, in your health. You know, Pastor, I just need to trust the embrace of grace today. I need to become like that little child and just trust that my Father who's holding me has it all in his hands. If that's you, will you slip your hand up right now? Come on, just slip it up. Yeah, yes, yes, hands up all over the place. Praise the Lord. Father, right now, Lord, you see every hand that was raised. You see everyone that said, I need to trust this embrace of grace. Grace for my family, grace for my marriage, grace for my relationships, grace for my business, grace on my job, grace with my boss, grace with my body, grace with this addiction, grace with this pain, grace with this bitterness, grace with this hurt, grace with this unforgiveness, grace. God, I need to trust the embrace of grace, this embrace of grace that I don't get. It is illogical to me. It is crazy. That's his love. That's that overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that we talked about this morning. So, Father, I pray each and every hand that was raised, just a special touch would minister to them today as they just place their care, their worry, their burden, their hurt into your hands. God, let us walk out these doors and trusting your embrace. And God, we love you and we thank you for grace today. For it's by grace through faith which we are saved through a faith in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that today. We ask all these blessings in Jesus' name, the most holy name that we know. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen.